Right, so this is episode 38, and um, thought it'd be quite interesting following on from what, well, I suppose what in the end turned out to be quite an emotional conversation, really. But um, what I thought was interesting is this week we've got uh, actually one of my patrons, but also an enormous fan of the music, um, lovely Dana Miller, has come on to talk to us a bit about, about the fact that pretty much... And, you know, a lot of the things I was telling you uh, in last week's episode, sort of, you know, about the about the area around the studio <laughs> and sort of that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, that's all context that Dana, funnily enough, can give us. And, I mean, you were even saying, I'm sure you said to me that um, you actually, someone knows Billy Bowers. Do you know what I mean? One of the one of the guys that we even work with. You just think that it's a small world, man. But, uh, yeah, so lo- thank you very much for coming on to start off with, Dana. Thanks for having me at your podcast party, gentlemen. <laughs> and always as well, we've got Pete Fletcher. How are you doing, Pete? Doing well, man. I'm excited about this. Nice to speak to another fan of the music. I hear you uh, You have uh, you know, pretty high level of interest in your big fan, I hear. I am that, yeah. Um, I, I can't even really, I mean, Pete, you would understand, I'm sure. But um, when we when we first saw the music, obviously they were opening for the Vines. Um, we were there to see the Vines. We didn't even know who the opener was going to be. Mm. and. I told Adam a little of this story, but <laughs> my friend Steve was just so amazed by my general face uh, as I'm <laughs> taking in Adam and, and the boys for the first time that he took this very silly picture of me just standing there looking stupid um, <laughs> because I'm seeing this magic for the first time. And and um, I took out my wallet after like seven minutes into, you know, of, of them playing whatever. And I gave my, my full wallet to Steve and I said my famous lines, I want one of everything at the merch table and I want to know name. <laughs> um, and so I, and so Steve made me, he ended up making me a t-shirt that I wore for most of that tour because it was just a funny inside joke that we had, but it was a life altering show. And um, we, it was very cosmic actually, because Atlanta, um, Adam, I don't know if you remember, was your last show with the Vines actually on that first leg. Oh, um, of oh the- right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was two, it was in two hours, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. And, and if I had waited to the Atlanta show, which we had to, tickets for, I would have only gotten to see you that time once. Mm. And so God, we didn't do that. Steve and I went um, on our way back down. We were kind of double timing in New York and Atlanta at that time. Um, And I was coming down from New York to Atlanta for Thanksgiving. So it was actually um, November 19th of 2002. It was the week of Thanksgiving and, and you guys were going to play at Theater of the Living Arts in Philadelphia. And so started a, uh, a roughly 27 gig to follow. Um, wow. Yeah, we followed them the whole time, Pete. We never went home again. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we really didn't go home again. And I, That's I told like that. Grateful Dead level. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, Without the crazy, trippy tie-dye, maybe. (laughs) But the same level of emphasis, for sure. And um, yeah, it was a funny conversation because I do, I mean, people who know me know this very well. I will will journey down the rock and roll highway for the right band. Um, But when I say the right band, I think there's a level of snobbery that other people don't have because the the only other people I've done that for are people like you two and the White Stripes and even them. I've seen you two everywhere, but the White Stripes, I didn't follow like I followed the vines and the music. So we just weren't going to miss any of it. And and I remember Rob Hurst, I think, said something really, 
really poignant in his episode that that resonated very deeply with me. He just said, I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to, I wanted to go to everything because I didn't want to miss a moment of it. And that's how we felt, you know, and, and, and should Elon Musk sit across from me and open his checkbook, he wouldn't have the money to buy a moment of it. For, he's well, not, yeah, he doesn't. For sure. I mean, that, that's, that's a sort of reaction that, I mean, even going back to what you were saying initially about, um, you know, not knowing anything about the support act for the vines and, um, yeah. you know, and that sort of instant reaction. That, I mean, I've said many times that I, I, I used to love that, you know what I mean? Especially on, especially when it was like really unsuspecting audience. I mean, fair enough with the vines. I don't know, maybe kind of, it's not quite as left field as someone like Coldplay when we opened for them. I mean, that was, that was a different level of sort of, uh, I don't know. Like, it, I, I enjoyed that in a different way. Cause it's like, oh, you're really not expecting this, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, um, you know of course any sort of band is you know like uh, that level of devotion because that's what it is isn't it i mean like you say you, yeah. you, you felt like you didn't want to miss a, th- a moment of it so you know did you so you went to the philly show with plans to then go about your business but in in the end just followed, <laughs> followed the tour everywhere yeah we did. So we went to Philly. I actually, Adam, in case you ever think I'm exaggerating when I talk about my nerddom, I printed all the dates for you. Awesome. Uh, and I'm like, here it is. Here's all of them. And, and and so I just went back and looked at some of the stuff that we that we did. And so that was the first time in, in Philadelphia. Um, after that, we went to the Orbit Room in Grand Rapids. So we went to Michigan. Um, after that, we went to Rave in Wisconsin. And then you guys left, I guess, for the holidays because it was getting close to that time. But then when Vines came back for the second leg of the Highly Evolved Tour, it would have been March, right after my birthday. Yeah. Um, I considered it a gift. I was like, oh, Craig's here for me. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and so we went, we went to every one of those shows and that started in, um, in, in the Roseland in Portland, Oregon, which is the picture I sent you when I was leaving, um, in my station wagon. I'm like, bye, I'm off to Oregon with Stephen. I'll not be back. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, cause we, like you say, there was the first half of the Vines tour and then I don't think we were even uh, meant to be doing the second half. I think if you remember from our, from the podcast, when we had Patrick on, um, he actually said, you know, they the band themselves said, "Let's, you know, we want them back for the for the second half of the tour." Um, so it, much, Adam. Yeah. I mean, they these things to me um, in the times that I spoke to them. I mean, they loved you so very much, um, and they thought of you as brothers. And so it was oh, wonderful wow. us to see you guys together was as much of, was as much of it as as anything for me. I don't I don't know if you know that Craig used to stand on the side of the stage anytime you guys played "Take the Long Road." Yeah, yeah. And flip yeah. out like he would just stand there and. Other people wouldn't even see him and he'd be there just wigging out because of your song. So yeah, you're much loved, not just by us. <laughs> so um, you said you spoke to them. Did you, what capacity did you speak to them as a fan or were you doing something oh, else? Well, I don't know what you would call it at a certain point, Pete, because I, <laughs> I should make very clear that I'm not an audiophile. Um, I'm not a person who follows bands around to sort of find some sense of escape or some sense of um, freedom from a life I wish I wasn't living. I felt very connected to those bands in a deeply spiritual way, um, and in a way that has never, ever been replicated, even in my great love of many other bands. Um, so for us, after a while, um, because we didn't make it our business to really invade their space, I don't think yeah. I'm egg until Philadelphia the next time. Like when they came back on the, I didn't meet him at that first show because I didn't try to. Mm. Um, I 
nothing about autographs. There was nothing about pictures. It was our time was that time. And you weren't trying to make it something else. But when you have <laughs> been on the whole tour for, I mean, how many days? 27 some odd days oh, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Time, you just become familiar. And, oh, and, awesome. and we, I have a um, I have a, a practice that I've always instituted where if I am, if I know I'm going to meet somebody like that, which there were a couple of times, I bring something for them um, because I feel like they've already given me so very, so very many things. Um, so I did bring Craig a bunch of Kinks records and um, and, he, and he loved them. He completely adored them. So that was their, our first conversation. Uh, Craig, at, Craig will have loved that, you know, especially from what I know of him as well. Um, it, just such a shy, just such a shy lad, you know what I mean? And sort of, if he'll have instantly connected to you um, with that sort of vibe. But, you know, we had uh, we had people all over the place who followed us as well. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, I think yeah. we, I, th- I don't know, we tend to be, I don't know whether you'd call it like a, a cult sort of vibe, not in a bad way, yes. but almost like a cult following. Do you know what I mean? Where our following is really, um, well, I don't know, sort of intense and loyal. And I thought it was interesting as well when Tim Burgess sort of said, uh, you know, wow, the music had got a lot of fans when he sort of announced that listening party, which of course as well, we all know was a shock to us. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it, it, I think it's fascinating that some bands sort of touch on that level. Um, and, you know, we, like I said, there's lots of great fans I could name that, um, followed us all over the place. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Jez being one of them, a great friend of ours. Um, uh, he also followed you too, actually. So I wonder if you know. I wonder if you've met Jez a few times. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's it's great to have that level of following. Do you know what I mean? Obviously. Yeah, and I totally. Uh, I'm glad that you explained it that way because I feel the same way. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'm a huge fan of the music. The music, I, the four guys, you know, great. Like, I, I would never rush to try to meet them. I, I, I what am I going to do? Be like, can you? I don't want an autograph. What am I going to do with that? Like, I just really love the music and the experience. And you know, yeah, when I go to Leeds, I'll go hang out with Adam. But that's not the goal. Honestly, the goal has always been just being with that music that I love. You know, it's that's really all it is for me. So I'm I, you articulated that well. I appreciate that. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, mostly, I think I sound like a crazy person to other people. <laughs> but so do I, Dana. Don't worry about it. So do I. Honestly, it's fine. <laughs> but it, it was a transformative experience for me because it it was the beginning of what I would consider to be my real life. Um, the things that I was going through in my own life at that time, um, what was made simple to me or what was made obvious to me by witnessing them. And I mean, the music and the vines together. Um, it just it just tilted my whole world in terms of what I thought was possible um, in men, in music, in life in general. Um, and it taught me a very important lesson that that then colored everything else I did. So if you really want to get down to brass tacks, um, my life and my career now is is more structured by my time following them and watching them than than you could ever possibly imagine. Um, so in a little bit of a way, they led me to my own destiny um, and what I was afraid to claim as my own, you know, which is silly because I come from a, a, a pretty rich musical background myself, um, mm. but I didn't think it was mine. Um, I thought it belonged to other people. And and so, yeah, that's something that shifted in me on those tours. So it was really much more about that. It was like an awakening, like a spiritual yeah, awakening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as well, I thought it was really interesting that you had, I mean, you know, the, the context on the studio itself, <laughs> I'd like to talk about that. Do you know what I mean? Southern Tracks, that actual place, yeah. where it was and, um, you know. And how you knew they were going to be there 
What's okay. that about? My father has a pretty storied career here. Um, I'll send you some things, Pete, if you like. He's he's played here professionally for about 60 plus years. He's 73. Um, and so he, he basically knows everyone. And um, so I've gone around with him thinking that, you know, being backstage with amazing people was how you grew up. Sitting in the same uh, baby pin as Shooter Jennings and stuff like that. I just thought that's how you were. And so my dad really knows a lot a lot of people and um i've got to double check with him but i think it's billy adam i think it's billy bowers that told him um i was actually at southern tracks with him not a day after that um i've been in wow man that's awesome sung into that um that qm69 that hangs over the grand piano i was like i'm gonna be susanna hoff from the Bengals. watch me <laughs> and so I've been in there quite a few times, but my dad, when he told me that, um, it, it, he had just been speaking to someone there about some recording of his own. And um, and then again, that that wasn't unusual. And, and mm. we weren't really very surprised that you were coming because we knew that Brendan O'Brien was there. Um, Mike Clark, I don't know if you met him while you were there, the co-founder. He, he founded, so Southern Tracks was founded by Bill Lowry and Mike Clark. Um, Bill Lowry is considered Mr. Atlanta Music because he started the careers of people like Ray Charles, the Tams, um, Tommy Rowe, a lot of very popular 60s acts and such. Um, and he started MC that. Hammer. MC Hammer. <laughs> Well, we do have Dallas, Austin, and Jermaine Dupree, so I'm sure they just hammer time down here. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so my dad is really steeped in that world, and thus so have I always been. Um, and so I've grown up that way, and, and that's how we knew we, they, that they would be there. And I, I did tell Adam, I confessed to him, rather, that we... Uh, <laughs> That we were we were so hell bent, Pete. My my friends and I like once I heard that, I got in full runway mode. I was like, okay, I need more glitter, I need more colors, and I'm going to find them. They're in my city. Oh my god, they can't they can't be here and me not find them. And so we had this list of places because I don't know if Adam told you that. Well, he said it on the podcast, but he he really gave it quite the polish because Cheshire Bridge in Claremont to this day, like if you come down and visit me, I won't be taking you there, darling. I won't be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's not um it's been sort of the seedy, dirty prostitution corner since way before my birth. My dad wow, says okay. it was yeah. When when you know you didn't really have a crack problem, you didn't have like things like that. But he was like, you didn't go in that area, um, which is why, by the way, Bill Lowry and Mike Clark, um, they used to have an old studio called the Old Schoolhouse. And when that got demolished, um, they chose that area because they thought it was going to regentrify, uh-huh. and you could get. You could get cheap real estate, obviously, you know, and, and, and then if it turns around because it is right next to Brookhaven, which is one of our nicest areas. Um, so you're like, OK, that's going to bleed over. But, but it never did. <laughs> and, so, and so it was definitely well. So like stories like, for instance, when Pearl Jam was here recording Yield, um, Jeff Ament got robbed at Knife Point right there at Southern Tracks in the in the back lot. Really? Um, Yes, they robbed him for like $3,000 in money and I think about $5,000 of equipment right right there, right there. And and thank God he wasn't hurt because, I mean, it just, you know, it is a rough area. Um, So, yeah, so that's what makes it funny is that here's me and Mm -hmm. Steve. You know enough about me by now to know my vibe. And Steve is the most square architect boy. He's so square. He wears collared shirts. God love him. I love him dearly. But it's us on Cheshire Bridge. We're like, hi, we're here to find 
my band. <laughs> and we're just sticking out like sore thumbs, of course. And, and I'm like, oh, this is a really scary place. But we had all these, um, we had all these places that we thought you might be. We had all these record shops and these amazing places. We're like, surely Brendan O'Brien is going to take well, them here. No, we, we didn't even leave the place, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> other than, other than when Brendan took me to a guitar shop. The barbecue where, place. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah um, which I can't remember exactly where that was. And I, I, like, like I also told you on the Zoom, um, we went to get his haircut at that place that was was it owned by the B fifty twos or did they just go in no. there? I don't know, but it was like it, a it was a it was a lively place with that man. I can to say the least. <laughs> it were yeah. Awesome. Well, and and you know that area obviously. Um, <laughs> there was just there was a lot of play and, and I told I told Adam in a separate time Pete that I couldn't believe they took him to Fat Matt's because that's like the blues that's the blues hangout and I'm like the music get the blues hangout they're not going to be why would they be there and I was there two nights later which I I told Adam in the email and and so we were so upset that we had missed them um again just hanging out with my dad and going to one of his friends gigs at Fat Matt's and so I'm like oh my god they were at Fat Matt's and here I am looking at every cool like underground awesome place that I know. No, well, that, surely I mean, I didn't even know. We didn't even realize the significance of Fat Matt's. It was just like Brent, Brendan would just like look that you know it is insane that place. We're getting that, and we're like, yeah, whatever. It was only <laughs> to be honest. It was. I think the thing that made me realize it was a bit of a thing was there's a, a TV show actually over here called Banged Up Abroad, which is about people bloody drug smuggling and getting locked up. And uh, <laughs> basically, at the end of it, they were they, when he got back to America, he was sat in Fat Matt's um, doing the interview in Atlanta. And I was like, oh, well, I went in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a crucial stop on the blues circuit for sure. Oh, and right. so, um, what's his name? Gary Clark Jr. was there not too long ago. Nice. So, like those those kinds of people come through, and it's sort of um, a notch on your on your resume, so to speak. And you know, because blues is all about being close to the earth and being close to you know the the simpleness of life. And so, it's not they don't play fancy fancy places, you know. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. it. Yeah, but anyway, um, we missed him by two nights, Pete. So I cried all my glitter off that day. I was so angry. <laughs> I mean, when you were, when you were sort of hanging around though, like near the studio, where exactly were you? Because the only time, the only place we literally went is in that back lot to play basketball yeah. and like wiffle well, ball or whatever else we were doing. I don't know why, Adam. Apart from it's maybe a showcase for you of how far I've come in my own again, my own claiming of my life. I could have just asked my dad to bring me there. He yeah, knows all yeah, exactly. those guys. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? You could have just walked in and said, do you know what I mean? Yeah, because they all know me. And even Rip, like the custodian there, the sweet man, he was about 70 back then. I'm sure he's left us by now. But they all knew me. They all knew my dad and they then they knew me. So I could have very easily just walked in and said, hey, I really, I really want to talk to these boys. Um, <laughs> and, and it would have been fine because they know that I'm not going to bother you or hurt yeah. you. Or, um, but anyway, um, I didn't do that because I, I didn't think I should. Well, and well, I felt I like... You know that at the end of the day, though, that's probably the right attitude, isn't it? Because you didn't feel like you wanted to be intrusive. You didn't want to take right. that risk. Do you know what I mean? Which, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, it shows you like how how much belief I have that the right things will happen. Because I'm just like I will I will be with them when I'm supposed to be. Not not me forcing it. Not me going. Oh, they're in my city. Let me hijack their day. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so magical for us. Like even Steve and I failing every day to find you. Um, because we just knew you were there and it yeah. was like, oh my God, they're here and they're recording their next album and it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened. So you know? is, Steve, is Steve like as 
as big a fan as you, or is Steve kind of like someone that you would just like, you're coming whether you like it or not? Do you know what I mean? Is he someone that you no. you drag around against his will? I'm just trying to paint the picture. No. <laughs> Steve was my very best friend in that era, and he's still one of my very best friends. Um, but as as we've talked about, um, and he, he was never my boyfriend, always just friends, um, friends that went to concerts together. He loved music as much as me yeah. and just a creative, fun guy. He's an architect, as I think I told you, Adam. Mm-hmm. So he he likes um, he likes all sorts of artistic, spatial things. And, and so he would just go with me. And because a lot of people couldn't, we could take that time. Um, I think I told Adam, Pete, that I burned all my PTO um, all of it. I had like, I had like a month and a half of leave. I burned every bit of it for, for Adam and Craig. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, and I was happy to do that. And Steve did the same, but, um, he like so many of my friends and this gets back to another conversation we had, Adam, like other people took what I call the template road and I didn't. And now that we're in our forties, it's a different world because yeah, I'm yeah. still doing all the things I've always done. Yeah, yeah. Eve would come with me today if he didn't have a wife and two kids. Yeah, that's it. But, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting thing that because, um, you know, that's something I kind of dealt with as well, uh, moving away from the band and that lifestyle was, you know, that kind of vibe was like, it was all, it was just so easy to come by when you were in yeah. a band and on tour and meeting people and, you know, going out and stuff like that or whatever that, that vibe was, and not, it was, it was addictive as well. Do you know what I mean? It was incredibly yeah. addictive and to sort of come away from that, um, that for me always kind of left like a, you know, like a hollow feeling as well. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, go out anywhere you want, but there's something sort of magical about being in a band and being in a great city because you know whether regardless of how you look at it you always get sort of taken to the coolest spots by the coolest people do you know what i mean and like like yeah. the Coldplay tour as well that were another time we we kind of went out quite a lot and ended up in university halls and stuff in parties and all sorts of stuff like that just madness yeah. Well, and I, I think for me, it was a great shock. I don't know if it was for you because I pretty much told my parents when I was like eight or nine that I had no intention of ever having children. I, I might get married if I met the right man. I was open to that, but I had no intention of ever living that domestic yeah. sort of planned out life. Yeah. And I was quite shocked when we all got into our thirties and all my friends started dropping like flies. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because I mean, me personally as well. I mean, I've kind of always thought like, it's almost, I just don't really have that instinct if you know what I mean. And here, I am, here I am at 38 and if someone said, are oh, you ready to have kids? I'd be like, no, I'm far too young. No. Do you know what I mean? And, it's no. like, it's like, I'm not, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, it's too late now. And then you're like, oh, Oh, all right, never mind. No. <laughs> and now people laugh at me and or hate me for saying it all the time. But people down here in the South, obviously, they think that a woman's worth is measured by these things. And mm. so they'll ask you incredibly personal questions like that. And, and, I, and I mean what I answer when they ask. I'm like, no, I didn't make those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I made lots of others. <laughs> But I didn't make those. Ultimately, everyone's got a different outlook on it. And, you know, but I'm I'm kind of the same as you in that regard. And, um, you know, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, I think a lot of people and I, I suppose it's separate conversation, really. But a lot of people kind of just end up in that situation. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't know. I don't know how many people actually think, right, we're going to start a family now. I think, you know, in most cases, it just happens. And then you get sort of people who've as you say, spent time with you when you, you used to do those things. And now they're like, well, 
as much as I'd love to sort of come and yeah. do that or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, car. Well, <laughs> there's a very famous writer that I can't think of the name of at the moment, but someone said, if you have not the will to impose your own strength on the world, you must bow to the strengths of others. And I always took that to heart. I'm like, no, no one will color my road for me. Least of all, these pathetic little domestic duties that people think I, <laughs> like I'm going to be going where I want to go. And, and I think it's really important to say, like, at the time that we were following you guys, around the most during that that early vines tour um i was a teacher at that time we have i mean you you can't afford to buy cheese when you're a teacher and and yeah. so people think <laughs> like literally cheese is a, a luxury so it's cat food <laughs> but no it's i mean people think that you have to have so much money to live outside of what society deems the norm and that's simply not the case we slept in my car we did whatever we had to do because we were utterly unafraid of deprivation if it meant we got to see something as important as what was happening right in front of us. Yeah. Um, that is still the way I approach my life. Like that has not changed. That is not altered at all in all these years. That's so cool. Yeah. So you saw them 20 something times. I'm imagining the set list changed slightly. Uh, <laughs> any any highlights? Anything that you're like, I tell oh, you what, so Pete, I bet well, they said this didn't fucking change. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I don't know that it did in that early Vines tour. I don't, I don't think it did. Yeah, did, did you go to the? Did you go to the gigs when I wasn't there? Then um, the, the yeah, okay, there were a couple in California. Is that right? Well, there was. I think one was when, one was Denver. I think one was Denver, I'm and I'm not sure. There was another one. Um, I mean, I I always remember that as being the Vines tour. It definitely was the Vines tour. It definitely was. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like there was a show where I did not see you. Um, I'm looking at my list here. I don't know why California sticking. I, I don't know why I feel like it was Ventura. I could be completely misremembering that. Well, um, play, definitely played there. Yeah. yeah no, that was, um, that was a cool venue. The majestic. Um, yeah, that was a very that was cool, a cool. That was a really cool place. Actually. I thought Yeah, I'd never been anywhere yeah. like that. It was kind of like, I don't know. It had a really different vibe. We didn't miss it. Go, Adam. Like once we went to that, and like I mean, again, when you guys came back in March, that's when I took off in the car, and we just didn't come home, and <laughs> until you left. And, and I think when you left, um, the Vines were going to play Reading or or some some European festival, and you guys were going to go um, someplace else. And then I saw you again that year, that August at Lollapalooza in Virginia. Oh, um, oh yeah, man. Yeah, so you came that one and so i saw you one more time after that show that year and then hmm. um you know after that some other places on your own you know we saw the cold play tour um you guys played in duluth actually pretty early in that tour um with yeah. cold players so um yeah so just a whole bunch of amazing as far as highlights pete i mean my god just the fact that we got to feel um feel that energy every night for as many yeah. nights as um, I, I couldn't separate a song or a moment. There was so much hilarity. Um, it really burns me up sometimes when people talk about the Vines tours as being the wrong kind of chaotic. They were absolutely the, the right like yeah. the right kind. Yes. And you never knew what you're going to see. And people that are afraid of that kind of energy cannot hang with me. No, um, so I mean, <laughs> that, that, I, you know, there was that element to the Vines. Definitely. Like you say, uh, I, mean, I think Patrick alluded to it too. Yeah. You never quite knew what you were going to get, but it was always right. it was always out of this world. It was always like entertaining. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's just fucking 
I mean, yeah. you know, like it's just the epitome of rock and roll, I suppose, in that sense, anyway. Um, well, he was channeling his inner Kurt Cobain for sure. I mean, because that was, if you've ever seen Nirvana early days, that's pretty much yeah. what it was like. Right. Okay. Nirvana. And um, yeah, so I, I stood at Kurt's feet back in the early days. And yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely he has he has some Kurt Stardust in him. Oh, yeah. um, um, and it's funny because me, I um, I didn't I wasn't as lucky as you. I saw them once and then all of a sudden it was like they were gone. And back then, early 2000s, I was like, I had two favorite bands. I had the music and Foo Fighters and the Foo Fighters weren't that weren't that big at the time. And I was like, why is only one of my favorite bands exploding and the other one's not here? And uh, I always wanted to see them in a place where they were truly appreciated. And so my friend Mike and I used to always talk about, oh, man, we need to go like where people get this band. Like we need to go to like this place that I keep hearing them say Leeds, you know, like I I didn't know where it was. I was like, we got to go there. And I want to be around people that this is, you know, you know that has well, that I mean, effect you know, on them. You know, so. we 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 worked hard in America, and I, I guess that's kind of I don't know. I probably alluded to that as well in terms of you know our career steps or choices, if you want to look at it like that. Which I hate terming it like that, but you know, for context anyway, I, you know, there was definitely a sort of decision made to you know spend quite a lot of time in America but obviously as any as any band knows you know like you two I mean how long did you two sort of tour America before they yeah. really sort of you know five years or something before they really uh, went massive yeah. do you know what I mean so yeah. it, uh, it was almost a bit of a fool's errand I think in the end I mean as I say we didn't really have control over these things it's not like we were sat there going yeah let's you know let's conquer America or all <laughs> like that it was I think it, I think at the root of it was obviously the designs of capital do you know what i mean the label um what they saw um as success for the whole thing um and i think the again it's another horrible reality really is that you know because we did the the radio plug-in and the radio promo tours which i think i've spoke about a bit that was probably one of the i think three three of the worst weeks of my life if it were three weeks it was literally like you know a flight two flights a day just absolute madness we were never really doing gigs we were just doing loads of little radio appearances and stuff like that and it it was just absolutely nuts anyway but I think ultimately when when that second record came out in America um I mean and you'll know this Dana it's blatant to anyone that when you've got a record company and they launch a new album campaign for anyone if it if it hits and there's a even slight cold response commercially, do you know what I mean? They can they get cold feet. Do you know what I mean for the for the rest of the campaign? And that's not necessarily mm. just true in America. It's same. That's exactly what happened here. That's exactly what happened here with us and Universal. It was almost like because it didn't land really heavy really quickly, they just kind of lost interest. Um, and I don't know, man, like, like we spent some great, you know, I, I don't look at any of that and think, oh, I wish we hadn't done that. Um, you know, there's, there's probably something to be said for, you know, like when we did the second record, as I say, we spent the majority of our time in America. Do you know what I mean? Playing and not doing the things in the UK that would usually, um, you know, really get you more exposure, i.e., you uh, later with Jules Hollands and uh, your, t- your your TV shows and stuff like that. Which, you know, while some of that stuff's bullshit, it's still the sort of stuff where 
you've kind of got to do it. Do you know what I mean? Because it, more people see you. And it, it was the same with the enemy, which I've sp- spoke about before. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you've got to kind of play ball with the enemy because you need that exposure early doors. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, so, it, you know what I mean? It, it's difficult really to then the record come out and it kind of have a deflating response commercially. But it's interesting because there's almost kind of two sides to this or t- to the whole thing because, you know, I'm sure you don't give a shit how well it did commercially and your love of any of the records is not gauged by that is it do you know what i mean and that's yeah. where that's where music um do you know what i mean that's where the, the the gray area is so to speak in the sense that you know so many bands will will never realize the potential because no one has got the time to believe in them anymore do you know what i mean and yeah. i think we were right. we were very we were one of the very last bands yeah. Um, that you know, at least in our early days, you know, we we were part of the big push, and we were on Hut, which is a, a great label and the sort of label where you don't have to have instant success. I mean, look at the Verve again, third record before they went absolutely stratospheric. The first two albums didn't really, you know, set the world on fire commercially. No. You know, culturally, culturally they did. Do you know what I mean? But commercially, they didn't set the world on fire in the same way. So. You know, I suppose it's just, it's interesting to me really that, um, you know, that that's where it's divided in it in terms of it's got to work commercially. And that, and to be honest, that's, that's one reason I love what I'm doing. And you know what I mean? And what you're part of Dana, the whole sort of the, the patron thing, because I'm not being funny, it fucking cuts everyone out. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It, cut, it cuts anyone who might have an opinion out. Do you know what I mean? It, right. it, you know, it's like I'm making music directly for people that, that love it and there's there's no one sat at a desk going hmm well i don't know this might be a waste of time i think you go back to gardening do you know what i mean it's like just like people who people are there like yourself and like the you know the 56 others i think i've got now that are just i don't know they kind of get me and in the same way that i suppose you're you've been describing for the you know the, the the time we've been talking now um just that sort of connection and that you know that transcends any record company bullshit doesn't it ultimately I think it does, Adam. And I I want you to realize, too, that that second album, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, um, and I don't know if it matters, but it did coincide with what I consider to be the last wave of rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. When you start thinking about it beginning in the 60s and you've got just this minefield of magical talent all the way through the 70s when you get granola and acoustic, all the way through the 80s when it's the pop heyday. In the 90s, you had grunge. It was the last international wave. It was the last time that everybody knew those bands. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that you and the Vines and the White Stripes, um, you know, and the Strokes, obviously, by the time that wave came, you were talking about about six <clears throat> bands. Yeah. Um, and, and it's as Pete says, it's only the cool people that knew them. Yeah. Um, it, it was not you weren't going to have you know your name on the lips of people in the way that Kurt Cobain's name was. Mm-hmm. It's not because you had any less talent. It's yep. um it's because that movement had changed and um and I'm still sitting here as the as the kind of woman and the kind of artist that I am myself going it's been 20 years where are the young guys where are they it's terrifying because you really have Greta Van Fleet and Inhaler are the only bands I could name you and I bet they don't even know each other um so there's no cohesive movement at all no, um, we we felt that as well, um, because as you know, as I've talked about, we lived in a, a bubble, um, and I think that sort of 
uh, we lived in a bubble almost kind of culturally as well, uh, musically, musically, culturally, if you know what I mean. we It's not like we were abreast of all the new music that were going on. Suddenly we found our third record in a world of stuff like, um, well, I don't know, like Tiny Temper and just... I mean, especially in the UK anyway, I don't know about even sort of Atlanta or the US in general, but music just went so weird here for a long yeah. time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I thought I, it was going to continue I, with Royal Blood, but it, like Royal Blood, I was like, oh, okay, maybe well, there's mean, a pulse. They're, they're quite big, then, though, they're, they're pretty big. They've got quite a big following. Because um, yeah. they're, they're, they're from Leeds, aren't they? I, I don't think know where. I think they're from Brighton, Adam. I'm not I, sure, but... All right, I think enough. so. I might be confused about that. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, I know, I know exactly what you're saying about, and I, I think I, I, and I'm sure the rest of the lads as well feel really lucky that you know. I'm sure a lot of people would say, "Well, you deserved it," but I certainly feel lucky that we did what we did when we did it. Because I tell yes. you what, if we did it now, it would not go the same way. Do you know what I mean? The way the way music's gone, the way our, the people, the way that people consume music and. You know, I remember things like Napster and that, and all that sort of for raw and streaming and torrents and stuff that I'd never understood. And you know what? I think I naively, probably when it was happening, probably naively thought, well, that's not going to do out. Because I think probably I was sat there going, well, that's not going to do out. I won't even have a clue out. I won't even try to do that. Let alone think, right. let alone think, oh, no, I'm taking money out of the artist's pocket. I would think that. But before that, I'd be like, I ain't got a clue how to do that shit. And I'm sure it's relatively <laughs> simple, but no. I'd, and that was something that baffled me was, you know, and I've, I don't know if I spoke about it before, but I grew up, if I were lucky enough to get some money from my mum and dad and we go into town and we go into HMV and I might get enough money to buy two records. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And that would, that would equal sometimes 30 quid to be 15 pounds yeah. each or 12.50 each. So you had to be really careful what you bought and you know what I mean? And then, yep. and then you've got kids nowadays that if you ask them now to kind of start paying in the same way that I did or you did or we did, do you know what I mean? Did, I think they'd feel robbed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, think, I think they would. I think they would feel robbed, not necessarily because they'd have the capacity to weigh weigh up in, or, and go. All right, well, you know, what am I getting and what am I giving? I don't think that would be the case. It's just the fact that do you know what I mean? It's like you know we've we've driven for seventy miles an hour on motorways in our countries for years. If they if they if they dropped into sixty, you'd be like, well, hang on. Do you know what I mean? It's, that, yeah. That's just. I've always done seventy, so I'm going to carry on. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I just kind of the our music's gone. Um, the, like you said, there isn't the capacity really. I mean, maybe it's in very small individual cases. I mean, like you talk about Inhaler, actually, that's that's one. Um, you know, that's a band that's gaining a lot of global traction, but there's no scenes. And I like what you said there. Actually, that was that really resonated with me. Like. There's nothing happening where all the kids or anyone like at the same time, it, like the name of that band is on the lips of kids across the world. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's kind of like a, a, a cool thing that I've no doubt, as you say, just doesn't, it doesn't exist in the same way um, that it did. And again, I don't know if I've referenced it, how much I've referenced it, but if you kind of look at our sales figures, you know, the, the first album did what it did. And certainly for me anyway, I had the expectations that the second album will be bigger. Do you know what I mean? In terms of yeah. uh, in terms of how it sells, and no matter how much people go, oh, well, it's not to do with that. It's like, come on, do you know what I mean? Like you've, you, there, there's, a, there's that shell shock of when the sales figures come in or whatever, and you're like, oh, um, okay. Do you know what I mean? And then you're like, all right. Yeah. And then the third album that was kind of of a, a similar drop in sales, but 
very difficult because, you know, it's like people are like, well, you have to understand the market has shrunk. The market from when your first record came out is just nowhere near. The, you know, it's not the same landscape anymore. Yeah. It's, almost like the, it's almost like the sales figures uh, uh, proportionately and correspondent to the, the, you know, the relevant time for each album was almost like, a, again, like a proportional uh, expected decline versus the size of the size of the market. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it was, it was definitely a strange realization for me where it was kind of like, you know, this, this is going to change <laughs> things in it. Do you know what I mean? Because there's just, there's not as much money in the pot for everyone to split. And when there's not as much money in the pot for everyone to split, people are less likely to split it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and for I, that, for that reason, you've got bands that might have made something seminal and unbelievable as a fourth album. <laughs> hint, hint. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or, or, do you know, or whatever. Yeah. But ultimately, you have your throat cut by the very industry that's you know attempting to to bleed you dry in the first place. <laughs> mm. yeah, that's very true. Um, and that's. I think I've said this to you before. I mean, the digital revolution. I have no love for. Um, I've actually never downloaded a song in my life I bet it's unless all it about came. Vinyl for you, isn't it? Well, a vinyl and, and CDs still. Yeah, CDs. Uh, I am the most analog girl you will ever meet if you live a thousand years. Um, hmm. And I do not. I will not ever give my money or any of my support to something that I feel decimated yeah. the landscape I live in. And so for me, it's, you know, it's just a matter of making choices about how you want to uh, find a band or follow a band. If you want it to be convenient, then you get what you deserve. Yeah. yeah. And you've got things like Spotify, do you know what I mean? Which I I would imagine uh, along with iTunes or whatever, but Spotify must be one of the, you know, sort of globally widely used streaming platforms. And it just pay, you know, because people are like, oh, well, look how many, you've got millions of players on Spotify. It must be minted. You're like, fuck off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Have you any idea uh, how much fucking Spotify pay you for a play? Jesus, yeah. man. It won't buy you a fucking spaghetti. No. no it's 0.00000039. Yeah. And that's, you know, and people get arsy when people diversify. Do you know what I mean? When artists like stack clothing lines or shit like that, or, you know, buy bloody clear channel or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's just, you've got to find different ways. Ultimately, certainly when we, when we were killed by the industry, shall we say, is at the same time when, you know, everyone starts sort of changing how you make money from music. And, you know, and I guess ultimately that's exactly what I've done as well, really. Because like I say, you know what I mean? Just by starting Patreon and just letting people mm-hmm. who want to be part of this, you know what I mean? And and don't get me wrong, right? You know, I'm sure there's some people out there who are like, well, you're charging people $20 a month. And you're like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but you, you, if I if I don't, then I can't do it. I've got to go out yeah. gardening, and then I aren't making music for anyone, myself, or anything. And you know, this kind of this allows me to to make the music and and live in that headspace enough to try and touch on greatness. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of what I feel is that certainly, and you, it, it's really resonated with what you were saying earlier on, Dana, about the fact that you've never really lived what you consider a conventional life in that sense and never really adhered to conventional blah, blah you know what i mean but it, it uh, while doing the gardening and everything well it was, it was a necessity as much as anything because i needed bloody money or whatever but you know i could have never never sort of done that full time and and realized my creativity properly and i don't want that to sound pretentious obviously because i never do no. but it's kind of like when you live in that oh i've got i've got to you know go to shop and 
I've got mm-hmm. to do this and I've got to clean the house and I've got to make sure there's food on the table. And, and it's, it's, you've got to be very careful because it's kind of like you feel like you're criticising that way of life, which obviously I'm not. Do you know what I mean? But no. what you have to understand is someone who is attending to you know, screaming kids and stuff like that. And again, you know, that is an absolute joy and people get different things out of life. But for me anyway, personally, you kind of need to live in a certain headspace enough to be able to sort of connect with whatever you're about creatively. Do you know what I mean? And kind of like discovering yourself, I guess. And again, that sounds fucking pretentious, man. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, it, it I, that's kind of how I feel about it. And that's why I'm so grateful to people such as yourself. Um, because all I've ever wanted was to wake up every morning and just go, right, I'm going to create something today. You know what I mean? And just and buzz off that fact. But obviously for 10 years, for a long time, my brain just went, well, there's no point. You know, what's the point in investing all that time and emotion if you've got no one to give it to? And if you're going to take it to who you'd consider to be record company people or whatever and get met with, all right, yeah, nice one. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the fucking point? You might as well not bother. Do you know what I mean? So to be in that position where, you know, through through people like yourself uh, who are willing to support me to effectively be able to hear the things that I create, it's just like a perfect symbiotic re- relationship with no fucking middleman do you know what i mean like who who, want, who wants his fucking pound of flesh or anything like that do you know what i mean it's very and it's freewheeling how i'm doing this and i'm sure in a way that you'll probably appreciate you know like some people text me or email me and say oh well i'm sure you don't have anything to do with the sort of technical side of the patron it's like i fucking do mate i fucking, I run everything do you know what i mean it's not <laughs> i'm sat here and, and someone i get a notification when someone joins up and i get my phone out and go all right okay i'll send them a link i'll send them a link to that i'll send them a link to that and especially when you don't know how to set up like group links on dropbox and you've got to sit there and put 52 people's emails in 52 you know what i mean and you're like send 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 and you know it just it's just freewheeling i love the fact that i can just get vibed up um create summer and just put it straight out to people like yourself do you know what i mean it's it's an absolute fucking joy for me obviously um well it's also it's a return to the way things were done in the renaissance era i mean it's like elizabeth the first and shakespeare artists used to have patrons Mm. like that's the way it was done because it was understood by the patron that this artist can't do what they need to do if they don't have the time and the resources to do it um and in my own life, that's the reason I have this house. It's the reason I bought the mountain house. I was like, I will get away from my city that I love. I'm as urban as they make them. And Atlanta and I are threaded like like nobody's business. But for me to do what I have to do, I have to come up here away from my precious pooch and all my other distractions to make that stuff happen because I can't do it when I'm sat in the middle of a bunch of other distractions and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I understand on a molecular level. And it's one of the many reasons why it's just as much of a joy for us to make that atmosphere possible for you. Um, I understand why you need it. And um, there's nothing, I'm sure I can speak for anybody in our group when I say there's absolutely nothing any of us would rather spend our money and time on. um, Period. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) How did you, how did you you come to find uh, that he was, he returned to the world? Um, You're going to like the story, Pete, because it it goes back to what I was, the reason I wouldn't walk up to Southern Tracks and go, hello. (laughs) 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 
Um, as you know, I don't have, or I don't know if you know, Pete, I don't have any social media. Adam knows that. I don't have any of that. I have eschewed it from the word go. Um, if people want to find me, get a helicopter and, you know, a lunch to take with you. And <laughs> I, just, I hide. Um, so one of my friends had actually sent me to Podbean to see another podcast, um, just oh. something they'd recommend their music podcast, which I can't even remember now, because as soon as I saw Adam, I, I I melted all the way down. Like there was a little puddle of glitter on the floor. Um, <laughs> completely freaked out in every way because I had not, um, you know, I, I I knew from the YouTube videos. Obviously, I follow him on YouTube. I have YouTube. Um, so did, did and you, I, how, did, how did you find me on YouTube then? Or did you find the podcast first and then hear about the YouTube? What was no, it? I followed you on YouTube first um, because I just have, I, I will go through sometimes on YouTube um, and it's mostly, honestly, in service of my research for my job. Like mm. I'll be in there doing something else and I'll get distracted. I'm like, oh, here's a music video from 2003, you know? And so you just go down a wormhole. And so I saw that you were on YouTube, obviously click. Um, and then when you started talking about doing the podcast, I had that in my mind because you'd mentioned it in several videos before. Um, and I was like, oh, that'll be amazing. But then I sort of got, you know, pulled off in my own directions and I, I didn't go check or I didn't go back and see. And so when I went into Podbean at the request of my friend and saw you, that was how I found you. And that was how I knew so I was like, and see, that's happening the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, and I, it's it's me coming to you when I'm supposed to, and 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 in a way that is not invasive or intrusive or rude or. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting you talk about when you were supposed to, because I mean, you know, I don't know whether I, I, that's those thoughts have crossed my mind. You know what I mean? As much as I sort of even recently kicked myself for wasting ten years. Do you know what I mean? I could have carried on from twenty seven and you know I've already but it's almost like I I needed that time to yeah oh yeah um yeah well I don't yeah it was not time at all that was your cocoon period that you had to yeah yeah. and look at you now look at your wingspan Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm jealous I'm supposed to be the winged thing here and I got nothing (laughs) compared to you so I think that was a very necessary time for you and you need to look at it as such yeah well I mean you know a a lot of it for me you know it's it's just self-belief now it's just confidence and that's what i I think i said in the video i made a a couple of days ago that that's just become you know i don't know when you live your life so long either with it or without it Mm -hmm. imagining the other just it's not even like a concept anymore do you know what i mean you don't even you don't even remember it in a sense in like a loss way you forget what it feels like do you know what i mean and then you know like you said like you refer to the group of patrons i've got now it's just like i don't know man do you know it's just people who believe in me so that that just spurs you on if there's a group of people going we want to see what you create next that makes you that makes you go all right well i create something then you know if you create if you create something and you met with indifference or um, you know, whatever it's all, it's going to instant, uh, depending on your character, but you know, it's going to instantly force you back into your shell. And that's what has happened to me. Crucially, probably over my entire life there has been, and I could probably th- name them all now. There's been periods where I've kind of tested the waters and tried to come out of some sort of shell and been smacked back inside. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of one of the biggest differences for life in life now is that, a, it's kind of like I've 
I'm attached to a balloon and I floated above anyone that's going to fucking give me a problem anyway. Do you know what I mean? But B, it's like anyone who did try and put me back in that shell. It just, it just wouldn't work anymore because I know damn well now that I don't belong there. For a long time, right. I, for a long time, I believed that I belonged in that shell. Do you know what I mean? And that were me for the rest of my fucking existence because who the, what record company were ever going to turn around and give me any fucking deal or anything like that when, you know, I, it's not like I'm a natural singer or anything like that. But Disagree. Um, well, well, either way, either way, that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. The point is that, you know, over the years, whenever I might have even tried to tentatively sing or anything like that, you know, it's always, you know, it's someone will say something or do something. And I, I mean, I'm, it's difficult being around me in that sense because, like, it, 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 I can be very uh, unfair in terms of my requirements of people in terms of what they say or do when I'm doing something that I find uncomfortable doing. And I don't know if I've said too many words in combo there, but it made sense in my head. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like... Yeah. And I'm not a normal. I'm not a normal person like that. Um, well, some people. Some people are just fucking indestructible at this, and it's not even like saying they've got no shame. I mean, that's one way of saying it in some sense. But I've just always been so like, what do you call it? Frightened of fucking up, or frightened of looking <laughs> shit, or whatever. It's just always forced me back into thinking all right so i'm just gonna you know struggle along going oh fuck you know what what am i gonna do with the rest of my life because that and again like i've talked about in the early youtube videos being wrenched away from something that i knew damn well was what i was born to do you know i had to right. slap myself enough times to convince myself it wasn't and convince myself it were all bullshit and i think i watched back the youtube videos and and you know i think there were even a point where i said it's all bullshit anyway do you know what i mean it's like well even if it's bullshit or not it's what i was born to do do you know what i mean and it's what um you know i'll make it the last thing i ever do on this earth to make sure it's the the thing that i do for the rest of my life as well to be honest well, you've been making great music for many years and you continue i mean what you're doing now is really amazing i'm sure a lot of folks are going to hear it eventually and it's it's yeah, definitely a, yeah yeah it's definitely a new chapter which is like super super exciting to be a part of which is really honestly the patron for me is like being part of that whole situation it's actually an honor i mean i, don't, I can't imagine i know you say you sometimes you allude to the fact that there's even the hesitancy of criticizing it i think that's in your head i think everyone that sees it is like yes please sign up for that yeah. i mean if you're into them yes by all means sign up so i don't think there's any there's any reluctance but uh i think it's a really cool process and then you see things that are going on you get to watch it evolve one of the things that came out of it which i found interesting is that i think you, and dana i think you might be involved in this you, what are you, there's going to be a cruise some kind of cruise i think you're doing <laughs> and uh, nobody would know about that if it wasn't for the patron Oh, he doesn't. He hasn't told you that he's committed to um, not just the cruise, but he has to wear just the captain's hat. So it's going to be oh. quite. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the group Zoom chats do get um, quite interesting. Oh, that was on the live stream, wasn't it? That was on the live stream. But yeah, no. is it on your fans only? You're going to be uh, wearing just yeah. the cap. All oh, right. So okay, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. that or not, we're we're definitely going to get him on this boat because he made the grave mistake of saying to me, of all people, that he would travel when he had a way not to fly and i was like <laughs> you on a boat. <laughs> yeah, well, i don't mind boats i don't mind boats i just don't fly if, if i can get somewhere on a boat and it's but you know people be like well, oh you, you know you're touring you've got to play in japan it's like well you better make sure my boat is well, what like five six weeks before then because that's how long it'll <laughs> fucking take to get there i would think 
long as we get you there. And I, I have plans for you once you get here too. And um, yeah, it just, just things that I think you need to see and, and do and recognize are possible. And so, yeah, I will tell you all about the cruise if you like Pete. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see ultimately about that. We'll see. Yeah. Um, that sounds fun. Well, but last question for you, I know, cause we're coming on the top of the hour is that you, you are, you are headed over to Temple Newsom, I'm assuming, right? Of course. Yeah. I'll be there with bells on most definitely. Um, I'll probably be there for about a month. Um, I come to England quite often because I went to school there. Um, and so I am a bit of an Anglo snob as anyone who knows me knows. And, um, it actually makes me think to tell you, Pete, something I heard you say once about, um, the title of welcome to the North and how like you were thinking about the North and what does that mean? And we're all that I was, I was your photo negative because I had already been to Oxford by the time that record mm. came out. Um, and so the North of England to me has always been a, um, sort of a folkloric fixation point because of the Brontes, because of, uh, secret garden, because of all the Manchester bands. So I, when I heard that, especially as a Southern woman here, I was like, Oh my my God, it's not just it's this it's this double meaning for me because it's not just my favorite part of England and all my favorite people. It is a giant middle finger to all of the southern culture down here that I'm just I'm <laughs> yeah. a different kind of West North. <laughs> well, yeah, um, honestly, yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on and having this chat with us. Uh, it's been really interesting following on from the previous week. I mean, you know, we've talked about all kinds of stuff, you know, about the about southern tracks and that, giving context yeah. for for me as well, not only um, listeners, but. Uh, yeah, some interesting conversations about music in general, uh, the state of music now and scenes and all that and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And again, Dana, thank you very much for uh, being one of my patrons. Honestly, I'll never miss an opportunity to say thank you for that. Cost um, you know it does it does mean the world to me. So uh, thank you very much for coming on, Dana. Thank you, gentlemen. It was my very great honor. And thank you very much, uh, as always, to Pete fucking Fletcher. Nice from Pete. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You know, it was not some, I just don't want it to come across like, oh, some little girl, some little girl crush on a guy that has an ax. Like, that's a common story. It's not my story at all. Um, no, no, I no, absolutely. We, I mean, we should have got, this would have been good for the actual, but we, I mean, we could talk about this next time though, actually. I, you know, this would be a good follow-up sort of episode talking about this stuff. You know, you talking about how fucking great I am on guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more.